Hello, true crime friends. Welcome back to True Crime in Academia. I'm your host, Mary DePippi. First of all, I hope you are all having a wonderful week so far. If not, that really sucks. I'm sorry, and I hope it gets better for you. This week, we are concluding the Amanda Knox series. Again, I am joined with the amazingly talented, the gorgeous, Mandy Bangle, thank you again for being here with me. You are so sweet. Hi. (laughs) I'm so excited. This has been an adventure. Oh my goodness, this case. It, yeah, it is an adventure, to say the least. I mean, it is, I mean, I would go as far as, it's a shit show. Yeah. A literal shit show. (laughs) Um, oh god so last week we got into a little bit about Amanda and kind of what was going on with um that case with the death of Meredith Kircher so now we're picking back up we're gonna tell you what happened the fallout and pretty much how the media and misogyny and all of these gross things played into this case so let's get into it a year and a half after Meredith Kircher's murder, Amanda Knox and her boyfriend Raphael, whose last name I'm totally going to butcher, Celestito? I don't know, I think it sounds better than the first time I said it. We'll yeah. go with it. <laughs> they were tried in the Italian courts. The prosecution, led by Giuliano Magnini, gave the court the following story. Amanda, Raphael, and Rudy had been hanging out the house that Amanda shared with Meredith and their two other roommates. They were either engaging or talking about engaging in some sort of sex play, and Meredith became upset, so she scolded Amanda. This led to a fight, which Amanda convinces Rudy and Raphael to help her rape and murder Meredith. He claims that this was pleasure at any cost. And again, just want to be clear, there is no evidence that supports this story. I mean, what is he thinking? I don't I even just how do you even get to that? Like with everything we've talked about, I don't even know how you get to that conclusion. That sounds like his own fantasy to me. His own sick, mm-hmm. twisted fantasy. That's just I don't see that happening here at all. And I don't know where they would get that information from, like you were mm-hmm. saying. Like there's literally no proof to fully tie this. It was all circumstantial or what they found to be circumstantial evidence and yeah. It's just it's just it's really the story of a man who is so convinced of his own version of these events that he is going to go to any sort of length to prove that his version of what happened, even though he was never there during the murder, it has to be what I say. It has to be. Unreal. There were so many times in this documentary, I just wanted, I was just like, this dude needs to go fuck himself. Like, (laughs) oh my God, how do you become a prosecutor like that? I mean, when you think about like the job of a lawyer, like technically they are storytellers. Right. Because they have to look at the evidence and based off of the evidence have to create a narrative of how 
whatever the version of events that occurred. But generally, though, you see this kind of outlandishness with a guilty defendant. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've never really seen it with a prosecution, at least not to this extent. And I don't know what would make him come to that at all. Like, why? Just because of their age? Because they're in college? Because, you know, they're studying abroad? No. Like, come on. No. I mean, I understand that's a stereotype of, like, college students, but come on now. Really? They don't seem like those type of, that doesn't sound like the type of group that would do that something, you know? Exactly. Now, sadly, both Amanda and Raphael were convicted of Meredith's murder. Amanda was sentenced to 26 years and Raphael was sentenced to 25 years. While in prison, Raphael was put in solitary confinement for six months. The reason was not mentioned, but I'm guessing... This, again, this is my opinion. I don't know for sure. It might have had to do with the celebrity around his case. And because of how Italy felt so strongly in their guilt, they might have done that to keep him away from the other prisoners who might have tried to beat the shit out of him. But again, solitary confinement... That's lonely. That's torture. And re- honestly, we need to just be rid of solitary confinement because... That's how you that's how people commit suicide. Oh yeah. And that's why people commit suicide that are in prison because of solitary confinement. I mean, it's literal torture. I mean, humans are social creatures by nature. Mm-hmm. So when you take even if you're someone who's like an introvert and doesn't like being around people, like but technically we consider those people to be mentally ill. So like Right. You need some you know, sort of interaction. Yeah. Something. It's just not normal to be in solitary confinement. And again, what makes it worse is that he had nothing to do with this. He didn't kill her. He, you know, again, wasn't there. They were both at his apartment. So what the fuck? Understandably though, both of them became depressed and at times suicidal. There was one point where Raphael said that he would often think about Amanda and wish that he was able to send her flowers for her birthday, which I thought was so sweet. But while he continued to have feelings for her, or at least in the early days of his prison sentence, Amanda's feelings for Raphael had faded. And what I thought was really like sweet was that they both mentioned in the documentary that that week they spent together was one that was definitely filled with love and they just enjoyed that time together up until that point and again just so so sweet they seem to have such a cute relationship and they just seemed very smitten with each other right away and who knows they might not have made it after you know had all this happen it might have only been a two-week fling or whatever who knows but again it seems strong yeah yeah i just like that they both look back on it like fondly that they don't have yeah those and they went through some trauma together, you know? Yeah. I'm shocked they weren't more trauma-bonded. Right. To be honest. Um, but I guess, you know, him being a dude having to go to male prison, you know, and her being in women's prison, I guess that kind of interrupted that. But at that point when, like, they mentioned, or at least when Raphael mentions that he, when he found out that Amanda wasn't into him anymore you know and they broke up like my heart broke for him yeah because he really did seem like a sweet guy yeah so sad i felt so horrible a year and a half after the conviction they were back in court for an appeal all the dna evidence was retested by independent forensic experts 
these experts came back with some disturbing news for the prosecution. They questioned the integrity of the processing of the crime scene and its evidence. And it was suspected that there was contamination on the knife, let alone throughout the other evidence. So, you know. A Dr. Carla Benchati, again, sorry, my Italian sucks. <laughs> she stated that the amount of DNA belonging to Meredith on the blade of the knife, which is where they found it, was so small. She even said it was scarce. And she points out that it's impossible, like, because of the amount that there was, it would have been impossible to make a conclusive match. Whereas, like, the DNA they found on the handle belonging to Amanda, she was like, that's a perfect, like, that's almost a perfect profile. Like, there was enough DNA from Amanda on that weapon, on the knife, to say that she held it. Right. But as far as the blade is concerned, now, if it's, so if that's the weapon that you've been stabbed with, you should have more than a very scarce amount of DNA on there. Exactly. I don't think that was a murder weapon at all. Yeah. And she had actually spoken with a woman from the forensics team in Italy. And she asked, was like, okay, did you guys test the knife separately? The woman comes back and tells her, which is so crass the way that it was said, was... We tested 50 Kircher samples at once. The lab can't shut down because Meredith Kircher died. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. Why uh, not individually? <laughs> why at once? I, I Right? And just asking for contamination. Exactly. I mean? So because of that, Dr. Vinciotti, or Vecciotti, is convinced, or at least was able to conclude that, like, the reason that Meredith's DNA was on the blade was because of contamination, because they were testing other things that already had her DNA. So it's possible <laughs> that cross-contamination occurred. Now, the other forensic expert that chimed in on this case, Dr. Stefano Conti, he basically looked at the handling of the crime scene. And according to him, it was chaos. He noted that there were individuals without proper protective gear walking through the crime scene. And then those who did have the appropriate protective gear didn't change their gloves or like the little booties that they put on as frequently as they should have. So in his opinion, the crime scene was not well preserved. It was not as sterile as it should have been. And that the opportunity for cross-contamination was extremely great. And I just want to say, thank God for outside experts. I mean, I understand technically you can find yourself an expert who can say whatever you want them to say. But in this case, it was necessary because there were so many missteps in handling this. I mean, I think in the video at one point you see like there's a someone who's supposed to be like a police officer or whatever breaking a window in the back. <laughs> and it's like, it's just what? I, I don't know how they let it get this messy. I know. I mean, and this is why I say they stomped through the crime scene because like, like he said, there were people who didn't have any protective gear on. So like Juliana McNini, he was one of the people you can see clearly in the video walking in the house. He's got no protective gear on. Oh, of course he, doesn't he doesn't even doesn't. have gloves on. <laughs> right. Oh, of course he doesn't. <laughs> oh, this man, this man. Why would I, Juliano McNini, need to have a protective suit to investigate a crime? <laughs> 
Don't you know I'm above that? See, the <laughs> the egos and the, the pride oh. is just so disgusting. And then, like, they can't even admit. Like, at the end, he's like, yeah, I've made some mistakes. But he never lays out what those mistakes were. So in my mind, I'm just like, you're just saying that so you can look good. Unreal. And, of course, the police and the prosecution, they were not happy about this. Because, you know... It's basically saying, and because of the international notoriety of this case, not only is just Italy saying that, oh yeah, they fucked this up, but the whole world is like, oh, you guys really fucked this up. (laughs) Okay. So because of that, the judge ruled that both Amanda and Raphael were exonerated and ordered their immediate release. Both parties, of course, were ecstatic about the ruling, but the family of Meredith Kircher and many Italian residents did not feel the same. And, I mean, I wasn't exactly shocked by Italy's reaction. I was slightly shocked about the family's reaction. Yeah. But then, like, you have to remember, like, they're dealing with the police. The police are supposed to be on their side. So, again, they're more likely to believe the police than the facts, but... One quote I really liked was from Dr. Conti. He says that only fools preserve an error. Mm. So, you know, I just thought that was interesting. Six years after Meredith's murder, the acquittal was overturned. And of course, another appeal was immediately filed right after. The reason for this overturning of the appeal was because they wanted to review the circumstantial evidence, including Amanda's behavior. Again, we're going back to this. I understand that sometimes, like, circumstantial evidence... I understand that is technically still evidence. However, it is not anything you can substantially or definitively prove. It doesn't hold up in court either, from what I understand. It's just... Her behavior is one thing. Actual physical evidence is a whole nother ballgame. I mean... Mm -hmm. And what, which behavior, her, you know, being affectionate with her boyfriend, they're still... Still harping on this. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Like, again, I thought Italy was, like, you know, a country full of love. So mm-hmm. why are you disappointed by this? But, again, a lot of Catholics live there, so I'm guessing they're probably more prudish than... And if we looked at just circle, like, circumstantial evidence, a lot more people would be behind bars yeah casey anthony for one i mean oh my god everything there's so many cases like her behavior i don't feel was inappropriate there's a lot more to what was going on in her mind than Mm -hmm. i i can't even imagine yes exactly so just but whatever in 2015 the italian courts ruled once again in favor of knox and celestito And they were once again exonerated. The Italian courts concluded that, you know, they were exonerated, stating that there were stunning flaws in the investigation and the increased media attention for creating a frantic search for guilty parties were why they decided that they should be acquitted. Again, there was really no fucking evidence (laughs) that supports it. So, you know. And anything they did have, it was... Contempt. <laughs> exactly. And because of that, they were like, there's a complete 
lack of biological traces connecting Noxon Solicito to the crime. And there's way more physical evidence that points to Rudy Gaudet, who, as we mentioned in the last episode, is now out free. He's a free man now, which is kind of gross. I mean, thankfully, you know, it seems like even though the police and (laughs) the uh, prosecution for Italy, they don't seem to be too smart, but at least the courts are, you know, at least the, the justices there were able to see through this story, see through this narrative and the media attention and everything like that, and were able to unbiasedly decide on the truth at least they admitted to their own wrongdoings like the any type of law enforcement they um what's his name the bulldog of mcneeny (laughs) he just no accountability no oh you know what maybe we didn't handle this the way we should have no 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 remorse no nothing just he's right Mm -hmm. i'm glad the court at least recognize that they did some missteps and things that were wrong yeah i also love that in the video um or in the documentary not the video what are we in the 1990s (laughs) video (laughs) um in the documentary he talks about how like a woman came up to him and told him he was evil and that he was the devil and that just made me smile i was like thank god at least someone sees through this asshole's bullshit and you know what was cool too when they got everything overturned i i believe she in the documentary she was on the phone with Raphael yes you could tell like the relief in, in their voices and just I, I can't imagine having this go on for so many years and not having that freedom you know uh-huh and like to have the appeal go over and again the first appeal was judged appropriately right you know it was there that they realized oh shit all of this stuff was wrong you know basically and you know had the right answer the first time but then to have someone else go prodding in and trying to bring up stupid insequential shit <laughs> like come on ah yeah yeah <laughs> Upon returning home, Amanda did graduate college in 2014, and she has gone on to become an advocate for the wrongly convicted. She is a writer. She has a podcast with her partner. And most recently, she has become a mother, which I thought was really sweet. Um, I did find her on Instagram because she is on Instagram. Oh, wow. And yeah, I mean, she is thriving now it seems and what was really cute that i thought and also really like awesome was that she has one picture of her daughter and she's holding the daughter so she could you could only see the back of her head and because of how everything that occurred to her with being in the spotlight and her media portrayal she was like this is the only picture i will ever post of my daughter oh wow right because that's up to her in the future because again she knows what happened to her she doesn't want that to happen to her child so good for you amanda really good for you Raphael now runs his own internet company and is a true crime expert for italian television that is so i think that's awesome (laughs) i do too i mean and like who would be a better expert than someone who was wrongly convicted and yeah knows how these things can get so out of hand and how officers and forensic teams can royally fuck up. Oh, <laughs> in, yeah. in turn, 
fuck up someone else's life. In this case, Raphael and Amanda. Now, the media plays a huge part in this case, and it would be stupid of me to not bring it up. Because, I mean, it solidified this polarization of people who believe that she was innocent and people that, you know, believe she was guilty. And she even says in the documentary, Amanda, that people either believe I'm guilty or they believe I'm innocent. There is no in-between, which is crazy. Again, considering the evidence or lack thereof, you know, you would, you would, you would, you know, hopefully you would think people would listen to reason, but as we know, people are, don't do that. So, you know, we mentioned journalist Nick Pisa, I think in the last episode, because he was interviewed in the documentary and (laughs) whether he wants to admit it or not. And I mean, he denies it in the thing, but there is such a thing as trial by media. Oh, yeah. And the covering of this case absolutely put that out there. And like I said, of course, he denied it. And he admits that he's biased and thinks this way because he himself is a journalist. And what I hated, though, was like when he was describing his job and like, how work has to be done in the news outlets in order, you know, to have your scoop out first before everyone else, which (sighs) there's a problem with that too. Um, You know, like some of it made sense. Right. But then it like, when you get like these headlines that were like, Oh, Meredith Kircher died in a voodoo ritual or like, you know, with some crazy sex game or, like, I think at one point they were like, yeah, it was Noxie's sex toy or something like that. Like, what? It was just, it went from unrealistic to just fantasy land. Oh, yeah. And voodoo ritual, where are they coming up with that? Where is, does anything point to her interacting with any type of ritual or, you know, witchcraft or anything of the sort? Like, what? And then... Don't get me wrong. Like, I think Amanda is a beautiful girl. Mm -hmm. I think her her eyes are so pretty. And I think she just captivated so many people by her her looks. And that's a problem, too. Yeah. Because that's how this happened. I I don't think she did anything to be sexualized the way that she has. Exactly. And, I mean, I know we talked about i mean uh we have to address before i get into that we have to address her nickname that they found because it was a soccer it was the nickname she was given by like her soccer team they were like foxy noxy and that became yeah right and on normal circumstances that's adorable but the media made it to be like oh no she's this sexual deviant and that's why that's her nickname and Blah, 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 blah. And it's just like... That's something so innocent for a a soccer team. And probably just because it rhymed with Knox. Like, Fox, Knox, Foxy, Noxy, like... And at the time, this was high school. So, like, I mean, I remember... Yeah, that's something I would have come up with in high school. Like, come on now. Exactly. They totally perverted a very innocent name for this girl. And that just... (sighs) Now, at one point, while Amanda was awaiting trial in prison... She was told she had HIV and would most likely get AIDS. So, which just newsflash, that was a lie. Because again, they're, I'm guessing they're allowed to lie to you because that's what they've been doing this entire time. 
So this caused her to write down in her journal a list of guys that she had sex with because she's trying to figure out how she got it or who she might have given it. Like, if she gave it to someone, like, you know, she's doing what any normal person would do if they're told they have an STD, you know? And, of course, that journal's leaked to the press, which also, again, just pushes this narrative of her being a sexual deviant because... Here's her sex life out on display. Here's every single person she's had sex with. I just want to know, how in the fuck did they get access to her journal? That is something so private. Mm -hmm. And, like, I know things that I've written in my journal in the past. That's for my eyes only. That's to get anything that's on my heart and on my mind out in Mm -hmm. one place. How can you take a place that's so, like, vulnerable for her and just expose it to the world? I just, oh my god, and the the HIV thing that wasn't even true. Mm-hmm. So they're making her panic, and in in case of that, she's she's exposing already, herself. Yeah. Uh, um, wow. I mean, she's already going through it with being convicted of murdering her friend, or no, it was what before she was on trial, but like she's already arrested for the murder of her roommate, which. She's already having all of the feels because of that, you know. Then she's in prison, which is also another separate set of emotions that you've got to sift through. And now you're being told this? That you have, like, a life-threatening illness? Like, what the... Like, I do have a theory as to maybe how her journal was leaked. And I'm guessing just because of... Or at least how the American prison system is... I have a feeling probably one of the guards leaked it. You think? Yeah. To, Either to when Nick? she... Yeah. Or to whoever in the media. Um, it's gross. Just because, I mean... I mean, I you know, I was a huge fan of Orange is the New Black when it was on. That's so great. And things like that. So, I mean... And obviously, Orange is the New Black is not a literal representation of what happens in prison. Obviously, there are things in there that are not true. But I think the idea that the guards or probation officers that are there are allowed to search your stuff whenever they want to whether you're present or not so i'm wondering if maybe when it was like recess if that's what they have over there i'm sure they do right if someone went in there found her journal saw this list photocopied it and they probably got a a pretty penny for that too oh yeah of course i mean so disgusting and with, the, like you said, with the notoriety of everything, I am sure that they were like, I'm going to make money off of this. And, you know, money is a great motivator for a lot of things. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily good, though. And it brings out the true colors in people, clearly. Exactly. That's just ill intent right there. That's I know. awful. And again, the other thing about the media is, again, I'm reminding everyone again. This is about Meredith Kircher's death. She is the one who was killed. She is the main victim in all of this. Amanda and Raphael become victims by circumstance after the fact. But she's the main victim. So even though while sometimes her name is mentioned in the titles, the story's never about her or her murder, really. They're mainly about Amanda and her potential motives or how she did it or things like that. Her sex life that has nothing to do with this case whatsoever. Exactly. And again, what about Meredith? You know, I'm sure the family didn't want, you know, all of these stories about their daughter. But again, if you're covering the case, 
wouldn't you think that you would mention, oh, this is the person who died? Right. This is the person who's the real victim here? Like, and there's nothing of that. And it's just so fucked up. Even interviews with American journalists. She's like, Chris Cuomo was one. Um, I want to say, it's not Nancy Grace, but there's, she looks like Nancy Grace. She's like blonde. I can't think of her name, but she's on there too. And they, they bombard her with questions about her reaction to Meredith's death. Because again, they're pulling the, well, you know, your reaction doesn't look like grief. Also, I mean, grief given- is- all over the place exactly it's not a one-size-fits-all reaction there are a brevity of reactions that people have to grief but also when you think about it i mean yeah they were roommates they were roommates (laughs) (laughs) i can't help it every time i say that i have to put that out there um but they'd only known each other for a few weeks so i mean obviously something tragic that happened but like how upset do you expect her to be, like, with someone she kind of barely knows? Right. So, like, again, I kind of feel like her reaction was normal. I don't I don't see anything out of place with how she reacted. Again, the media just ate that shit up and just wanted to be like, no. you're not reacting properly. You should be sadder. <laughs> like, and fuck you. It's not even, like... She did a cartwheel and was, like, doing shit. Like, they're making it sound like she was going full-blown cheerleader on the sides. Right. Like, she did not do that. And to be honest with you, now that I think about it, like, I'm thinking of the cold. That's what I'm thinking. She was probably doing things to warm up her body because they were probably out there for hours Mm -hmm. and hours. And where is she supposed to go in a foreign area where, like, she's outside of the place that she's staying? You know what I mean? And she can't leave. No. I I would, uh, like... That wasn't taken into account at all. Mm -hmm. It was just, oh, this is weird. Yeah, exactly. And then again with her sex life. I mean, there's like a clip of an interview that she had with Chris Cuomo where he's like, were you, did you take part in deviant sex acts? We have to know. That's the main question. Everybody wants to know about this. It pertains to the case. Like, fuck, it pertains to the case. Like, that's none of their business. That has nothing to do with anything. Honestly, I mean... And again, I'm sure she's trying to, obviously she's doing these interviews in order to like promote her innocence. And I get that entirely. She's going out there trying to defend herself. But, and also like, because of that, she's probably trying to have a specific decorum about her, you know, because obviously you don't want to prove anything that these people are saying. But my first reaction to that question was like, are you, are you involved in deviant sex acts? Like, if I have to talk about my sex life, you need to talk about yours, because how is this fair? No, that's not Like, and also, if I ask you about that in relation to a murder that really didn't seem to be too sexually motivated, I mean, yes, they found DNA inside of her and suggested that it could have possibly been sexual assault. However, I haven't seen anything that said definitively that Meredith was sexually assaulted just that they found DNA. But that only proves that she had sex. Right. But, again, where's where's the vaginal fluid then? You know? I mean, <laughs> let's think about it Seriously. here. Like, if you're going to say that sex was a big motivator for a crime, there needs to be more sexual DNA evidence. Right. And which there, was there wasn't. Nothing. Definitely nothing that came from her. And I don't think there was any evidence, like, 
even pointing in Amanda or, or Raphael's yeah. direction when it comes to, like, they, they did their own thing, mm-hmm. you know, but that's none of anyone else's business. Exactly. And even, you know, there's, there's the set, the shame behind sex is so mm-hmm. crazy to me. Like, let, let someone do what makes them happy, what makes them feel good, you know? Exactly. As long as it's, like, you know, with consenting adults, then yeah. you're good. Then you're good. As long as everyone's consenting, go for it. Have your fun. This case you know? should have never, ever been sexualized. Yeah, ever. never. Never. And I think some people like to argue that, like, you know, a crime with a knife, or at least with stabbing, can be seen as, like, a more sexually motivated crime because of the penetration and things like that. But she wasn't stabbed her throat was slit so there's a different component there that i wouldn't like i don't i can't see how slitting of a throat is sexual versus a stabbing like if you were trying to if you wanted to know which one i thought would be more sexual obviously i would pick the stabbing but again i was just like what and another factor that i want to discuss in the coverage of this case oh wait hold on i forgot something oh yeah and on some of there was a clip from one of like the news shows that was talking about her and they were just like hmm i wonder if she'll write a book and then maybe she'll go on to dancing with the stars like you think after all that she's thinking about doing that i mean okay maybe a book for later down the road but like not right now she just got home leave her the fuck alone that uh that might be carol baskin yeah (laughs) (laughs) not abandoned up sorry exactly and, like, I oh, I was watching, I actually watched this documentary twice. I watched it yesterday with my dad. And at the part at the end where they're talking to her dad and, like, the interview, the reporters are like, you know, like, are you worried that she won't be, like, you know, hot property in a few months? Like, you know, so, like, you can't make money. Basically, he's just like, are, you know, don't you want to get the money in while you can? Oh, and he's no. just like. I'm focused on my daughter's well-being. I don't, I'm not looking at my daughter as a hot property, thank you. That's and my dad gross. just immediately goes, I would have slapped the shit out of that guy. Yeah, because like, what, what a, that's an awful co- like, comment to make or ask. You know what I mean? Like, that's... Especially, who says hot property, like, to a parent about their child? Like, what the <laughs> fuck? What? And even that, in some way, is, like, almost sexualized. Because at least that's where my brain goes when I hear, like, oh, yeah, she's a hot property. Like, that's where my brain would go. You really want to have that type of, like, use that type of language with her father? Right. Come on now. And it really makes me wonder, like, with this case, if Amanda wasn't involved, if it was a male, would it still be sexualized the same way? (laughs) That's a great point. And, I mean, technically we see it. I mean, I feel like I can definitely say, no, it wouldn't have been sexualized. Because, technically... Rudy Gaudet, all of the evidence points to him, and I think it was the DNA that they found inside of her that was belonging to him, so right. <laughs> he literally had sex with her, whether it was consensual or not, we're not sure, but I mean, like, it all pointed to him and yet, not a peep. Right. So, you know, <laughs> I yeah, it definitely, I don't think. Because, oh, and even so, Nick Pisa talks about how he was like, oh, yeah, because, you know, it would seem like a girl-on-girl crime, which, you know, anytime anyone hears girl-on-girl, like, <laughs> oh, I my think God. he was just so obsessed with her sex life that mm-hmm. that completely overshadowed Meredith's actual death. Mm-hmm. And that is so disgusting to me. As a journalist, as someone who's supposed to be credible and, you know, honest and 
portray things the right way. This mm-hmm. went so south because of this man. I I have no words. Like I don't I really don't know how he still is an actual journalist. You know yeah. what I mean? I don't know how he lives with himself, no. honestly. I mean, but he also, I mean, if you watch the documentary, he is so full of himself. It oh, he is. not even funny. Just... Oh, my God. That's not cute. The, the narcissism <laughs> just drips from him, but it's, like, not in, like, a gross, it's all about me type of a way. Like, he mm. almost tries to make himself likable. Like, oh, look at me, but also love me. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm a likable person. And it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> Do you hear yourself talking? That's unattractive. <laughs> so unattractive. Now, another factor in the coverage and presentation, which we've talked about, is, like, the overwhelming misogyny that occurs. And I'm bringing up McNini again, that fucking asshole. (laughs) I mean, because some of, like, obviously Nick's comments were fucked up, but, I mean, I just, I just got this extreme sexist vibe from McNini. Yeah. And he also had these extremely archaic views of crime and like a perpetrator so like aside from his own feelings about thinking that you know amanda did it because of her behavior and things like that he felt that the covering of meredith's body with her comforter could have only been done by a woman no i mean i mean and that's his whole i think that's the huge part for him of wanting to be like yeah she did it and for all we know like let's just say like you know they they did engage in sex sexual assault whatever it, it would have it whatever it was um blankets you know what i mean mm-hmm. like there if, if you have sex like usually it's on the bed or whatever and there's blankets <laughs> like it, something could have happened mm-hmm. where she might have gotten twisted um mm-hmm. or you know out of something might have happened in the heat of the moment and he might have just not wanted to face what he did and mm-hmm. covered her up you know it's not just a a womanly thing to do to cover a dead body that has a shit ton of blood. Exactly. If anything, it shows... It, for me, I think it can show one of two things. It either shows reverence for the body because... I mean, she was half naked, so... Yeah. The fact that they covered her up, I think, was kind of like a res- out of respect almost. Because, you know, you didn't want someone to find her just like naked. that. Because, yeah. yeah. But... I also think it can be a shame thing, like you said. Like, oh shit, I did this. I can't face it. You know, just put a blanket over it. You know, out of sight, out of mind. But you know, again, not only this is not just a woman thing. A woman, (laughs) you can't definitively say that a woman would do that because I think in his mind he's thinking, oh. It's a let's cover her up, you know, let's keep her modest, let's blow, you know, yeah. blah, 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 blah. But again, that doesn't mean a woman was part of the crime or killed her. You and know? that's just circumstantial too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like that's not actual facts or actual evidence. It's just what you, again, what mm-hmm. you think the narrative is, you're painting it out to be that way. Exactly. Oh, well, that is a shit show of a... Of a case, as we've said <laughs> multiple Pride, times. Ego and misogyny are mm-hmm. I feel like what took over in this in this fucking case. It is so mm-hmm. sickening to me. Mm-hmm. And what's sickening to me is to think back into to that time. But again, I you know, I'm cutting myself some slack here because you know, if we were young, it's not like we knew. Oh yeah. You know. But when you see headlines like that, it's hard to not think that someone's guilty. Oh yeah. And 
you know, obviously the media has a job to report, you know, what's happening, but there's a certain way to do it, like we were talking about, you know? Like, you can't just post whatever the hell you want or whatever rumor you hear just because you need to get your scoop out first. Like, if you want to be credible, you got to fact check your shit. Don't just make up stories for the sake of making stories. If that's what you want to do, then write a novel. Hey, there you go. (laughs) Write a short story. Write something, you know, poetry. Don't be a journalist because that's not what people want. That's That's just fair. That's how cases like this get so fucking twisted and ugly Mm -hmm. and biased, to be Mm -hmm. honest. And that's how you get trial by media. And then with a lot of hot cases that happen in the United States, I mean, when you're picking a jury, you need to pick an unbiased jury. Right. And if you have every media outlet writing about it and scandalizing it and posting mistruths, how are you going to get a reliable jury? Right. You're not. You're going to have to go way far and find people who live under a rock. Seriously. And don't pay attention to this shit to be on the jury. But I, it's also, like, impossible nowadays to not see news outlets or, like, news uh, titles and articles and things like that. Right. They're everywhere. So, in a way, I, I feel like it's really good, though, that these stories do get social, you know, social media, I guess social media attention or just mm-hmm. the attention of really anyone because... Like the Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie case, for example, Mm -hmm. there are so many things that were brought to light that law enforcement would not have found by themselves, I think, Mm -hmm. or at least not in as quick of a time as they did with with everything else. I feel like it's it's helpful to bring certain things to the light because other people might see what they they want to see and get blinded by that. And that's this is the perfect case in this story. Yeah. Unreal. (sighs) just totally unreal i'm glad she's thriving though yes me too they both seem her and uh, Raphael and amanda both seem to be thriving and of course again it's really sad that we had to lose meredith kersher in the world because she did seem like a wonderful human being and who knows what she could have gone on to do and so young not yeah just it's always sad when a young person dies like because there's so much they could have accomplished and so much time left that they should have still been here to to have and to live through you know exactly well thank you so much for joining me it was such a joy (laughs) such a pleasure oh my god it's so nice to have you thank you for having me this is so much fun i i love this so much we're gonna get you back on at some point i would love that (laughs) so stay tuned she'll be a co-host again Hey, true crime friends, you've heard me talk about my amazing friend Mandy before. She makes the best crochet, cre-cut, and custom home decor for reasonable prices. If you're looking for a -a one-of-a-kind gift or some new decor to add some new life into your home, look no further. Mandy has got you. I have quite a few items from her, ranging from a crocheted headband to Halloween decor items to my amazing and adorable Coraline ornament. Um, if you guys haven't noticed, I'm like obsessed with Coraline and I just love how Mandy makes it. She's also made me a Coraline doll that sits next to all of my true crime books. To order, just slide in her DMs on Facebook and Instagram at Mandy Made It. That's M A N D E E made it on facebook and instagram once again go to mandy made it on facebook and instagram send her a dm and order today
Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Thank you all again so much for listening. It means so much to me. If you would like to show us some love, please don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, do all of the things. You can also follow True Crime and Academia at True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok. You can also follow the Ivory Tower Boiler Room at the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Instagram and TikTok at the Ivory Boiler Room on Twitter, and just search the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Facebook. You can also become a patron and have exclusive access to content by going to patreon.com slash ivorytowerboilerroom, and you can pick which tier works best for you. I hope you all enjoy the rest of your week, and I will see you guys later. True Crime and Academia is an Ivory Tower Boiler Room podcast. Members of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room team include Andrew Rimby, Executive Director, Mary DePippi, Chief Contributor, Jaron Usta, Marketing Director, and our interns, Nicola Grullo and Kimberly Dallas. Don't forget to follow us on social media at the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Instagram and TikTok, Ivory Boiler Room on Twitter, and search the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Facebook. You can also find True Crime in Academia on Instagram and TikTok at True Crime in Academia. To support our podcast, please go to patreon.com slash ivorytowerboilerroom and become a patron today to unlock exclusive content. As always, we appreciate your support and thank you for listening.